Praise God, everybody. This is Father Michael. I'm here at the Ablaze House of Prayer Chapel. You know, many of you know our bishops have invited us into this time of Eucharistic revival. And I just thought I would do these uh, some reflections on the, the Eucharist, on the real presence of Jesus um, as he's with, with us here, exposed on the altar. As we look at the Lord, as we look at our church's teaching for over 2,000 years, so for over 2,000 years, our church has taught that Jesus Christ uh, comes to us in this beautiful way. Um, and if you want to think about maybe a little bit about um, how the Old and New Testament come together and make sense of one another with regard to the Passover meal, with regard to the real presence of Jesus, um, one of the beautiful ways, and I often will explain um, at Mass this way, uh, if you think of uh, the people of Israel, right, were enslaved. Um, in Egypt for hundreds of years, right? They were in bondage in Egypt for hundreds of years. And if you think about that slavery in Egypt and the culture they were in, they were in a toxic pagan culture. Um, they were in the Egyptian culture, which was all about obviously worshiping many false gods. So the people of God, the Israelite people, were in bondage in Egypt. And if you think about that time in Egypt again, they picked up a lot of the ideas of the Egyptians. They started to think, you know, think about it. Hundreds of years, it's a lot of time. I'm in a culture that's not um, your own, if you will, a culture that's ungodly. It's a long time. Your children's children's children, right? Like the, they start to lose uh, a sense of who they are, their identity. They start to worship, I'm sure, even, or, or start to struggle with worshiping these false pagan gods of the Egyptians. And remember, God knew that they would, you know, he don't want his people thinking like the Egyptians or eating like the Egyptians or smelling like the Egyptians or dancing like the Egyptians or living like the Egyptians because he wants his people to worship him and him alone. He's a jealous God, right? God wants us all for himself. He, he longs for all of us. And remember, worship's not how much of God you and I get. Worship's how much God gets of us. Because God's always giving himself to us 100%. But worship's not how much of God we get. It's how much God gets of us. You know, we, we, we worship the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our, all our strength. Now, I want you to think, excuse me, I want you to think a minute. God sent Moses... To, to deliver the people from bondage in Egypt, right? And how did God do that? that that's kind of my point I'm getting at. How did God set the people free? How did he set the people free? Well, we know about the plagues, right? But we also know that God said to Moses, ultimately, prepare a male, unblemished lamb, put the blood of that, slaughter that lamb, put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of your homes, and then eat the lamb, celebrate the Passover meal. And we know from Scripture that those who celebrated the Passover meal, as the Lord commanded, that night the angel of death passed over the homes of, each, of those in Egypt. The angel of death passed over the homes. And as the angel of death passed over, if you didn't celebrate the Passover meal and eat the lamb, the angel of death would strike down the firstborn, man and beast alike. And that was the night that the bondage of, of Israel and Egypt ended because that's the night where, remember, they, they were kicked, literally kicked out of Egypt. 
buy Pharaoh, right? get out, right? send him out, right? Now my point is this is, they were set free from hundreds of years of bondage in Egypt to go where? To the promised land, right? And then think about this, they were set free so that they could worship the Lord God, the true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the, the only God, our God, right? And fast forward now thousands of years. Um, and I want you to think of the scene where John the Baptist points at Jesus. And what did John the Baptist say when he pointed at Jesus? He says, behold the Lamb of God who does what? He takes away the sins of the world. So I want you to think about Jesus now. God sent the New Testament Passover Lamb. You know, the Old Testament has the Passover Lamb, right? Which is how Egypt was delivered from bondage, or sorry, how Israel was delivered from bondage in Egypt to go to the Promised Land. Now you think of the New, New Testament, right? The New Testament fulfilling the Old, right? God becoming man. Behold the what? Lamb of God. Jesus is the New Testament Lamb. He's the fulfillment of God's plan. The new Passover lamb. And this new Passover lamb is male, without blemish, just like the Old Testament, male without blemish. And what happens to the lamb? He's slaughtered on the cross. Jesus is slaughtered on the cross. And his blood's not on a doorpost, but the blood of Jesus is upon us. And the angel of eternal death passes over those who celebrate the Passover lamb. And what do we do at Mass? As Catholics, for over 2,000 years, the church has taught this. If we're going to read some of the early church fathers as well to help you to kind of see this early church teaching that directly after the Acts of the Apostles, there's early church fathers like Ignatius of Antioch, Cyril of Jerusalem. Um, the, these men are, we would call, early church fathers who talk about the real presence. We also have evidence through Eucharistic miracles of people that have survived for 20, 30, 40 years, just no bread or water, but just on the real presence of the Eucharistic Jesus, which is scientifically impossible, medically impossible, right? So I want you to think about this. At Mass, when you come to Mass, you're celebrating the Passover lamb. You are celebrating the word Eucharist in Greek means thank you, God. What are we thanking him for? The new Passover lamb. Jesus is the Passover lamb. The lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, grant us peace. Grant us peace. It's the blood of the lamb. It's the sacrificial lamb. If we read Revelations uh, chapter 5, it says, he, he, John had that vision of a lamb on an altar as though it had been slain, yet it's alive. What happens at Mass? At that vision John has, there's candle stands. There's candle stands. There's an altar. There's men in white robes. There's incense. Um, there, there's all these liturgical, if you will, the liturgy uh, uh, pointed out. In the book of Revelation, what's going on in heaven? The lamb is being worshipped on the altar. 
And, and we as Catholics believe, have always believed, uh, for over 2,000 years, as the church was instituted, as the Lord instituted the Eucharist um, in the Gospels, the institution of the Holy Eucharist, he said, do this in memory of me. Do what? Celebrate the Passover lamb. Consume the lamb. Eat the lamb. We are delivered from the Passover lamb, not from in Egypt. You could, I guess you could argue we're delivered from the the modern day Egypt, which would be the world that we live in, not the beautiful created world, but the, the world mindset, the, the worldliness, the flesh, right? The devil, we're delivered from that bondage to go to the new promised land, which isn't the land of milk and honey, but it's what? The land of heaven. It's heaven. Heaven is the promised land. So Jesus deliver us the, the blood of the lamb, the, the, the celebration of the Eucharist of the new Passover lamb, the, the, the Lord's Supper is what? Do this in memory of me. Do what? Celebrate his presence. Consume him. Eat the lamb of God. This is my body given for you. Take and eat. We read John chapter 6. It's hard to read John chapter 6 and not kind of see that Jesus is really serious about uh, uh, his wanting us to eat and drink his flesh and blood, his body and blood. You think of a baby in the mother's womb. The baby lives off the mother's literal body and blood. And that's why the image often of pregnant woman is very, if you will, the church is our mother, and you come into the church to literally be fed from the body and blood of Jesus so that your spirit life, your spiritual life can be filled with the presence of the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. You know, as, I, as a priest, as I celebrate Mass, um, there's not one Mass where I'm like, oh, I'm tired of doing Mass, or oh, this is getting old, I do the same thing all the time. I never feel that way. I always feel renewed, I always feel refreshed. When I receive communion, I always feel empowered. I feel a special intimacy with the Lord, and I look forward every day to consuming the flesh and the blood, the body, blood, soul and divinity of Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. So sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. Jesus is with us right here in this chapel. Jesus is here. He's in all the tabernacles of the world as a slave of love, waiting. God is waiting desperately for each one of us to come and allow him to love us, to draw near to Jesus in the Eucharist. There are so many graces he has for your marriage, for your family, for your journey, for your faith, for your parish, for your faith communities, for the world we live in. And we come to the Eucharistic Jesus and we gather these graces in adoration. I'm going to close with this. I want you to think about this. And I've talked about this. I know I did another reflection on the, the Eucharist not too long ago, and it, but it was toward the end and it was rather long, so some of you might not have heard this. But this is really important. The, the, the United States Bureau, the Census Bureau took this census of how the average American spends their time um, in a period of 75 years of life. Okay, just give or take, right? So bear in mind, it's, it's an average. You're going to spend about 20 years and 3 months sleeping. You're going to spend 10 years and 5 months watching TV. And if you, add, if 
you add our phones and all the social media, it's probably like way more than 10 years of our lives um, with some form of social media or TV, right? Um, seven years and six months eating and drinking, lunch, breakfast, dinner, etc. Five years and nine months you're going to spend in some form of transportation. You're going to spend 18 months waiting in line, and you're going to spend six months of your life at red lights. Now, if you go to church one hour a week, you're going to spend, at church, you're going to spend, in a total of 75 years of life, you would spend five and a half months of your life at church, which means you spend more time at red lights than you do at church. You kind of get my point? We need to really think about our lives and our priorities. I mean, this is not on the altar and it. It's a he. It's Jesus, truly present. He's a slave of love in all the tabernacles. He comes to us, he visits us, and he calls us to come to him in the adoration chapels of our parishes. You know, here at the Ablaze Chapel, I want to cultivate more adoration and invite you to come and adore the Lord. You know, we're, we're, we're a chapel, we're a retreat center where you can come and be with Jesus and come and adore the Lord and come and say, hi, Jesus, I love you. You know, the Lord longs, the Lord longs for us to say, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, you're my friend. You know, we think like, well, God knows that, but he wants to hear you say it. God wants to hear you say it. Now think about this. If you spend if you spend an hour a day in prayer, in a lifetime you'll spend three hours of your life in prayer. Or sorry, sorry, three years of your life in prayer. If you just spend one hour a day in prayer, that's three years of your life in prayer, which is about four percent of your life in prayer, if you live to be 75. So four percent. Again. It's a very small percentage. But why is it that we resist coming and just sitting quietly with Jesus in the adoration chapels? Why is it that we're, we're, we're too busy? Are we really too busy? What's really going on at a deeper level? I think it is when we come into the adoration chapel, there's a lot of light. You know, there's a lot of light coming from Jesus in the Eucharist. He is the light, right? And when in the spiritual realm, when, when we're in the presence of light and God's love, we start to see things in our lives, maybe areas where we need healing. Um, he brings up a memory. He brings up uh, a person we need to forgive, or he brings up um, an area of our lives where we need uh, to work on virtue with his help. And God's never calling us to do this ourselves. If we could do it ourselves, you know, we're not, this isn't, Christianity is not a, a help yourself, your manual, or do it yourself, you know, a manual. You know, Christianity is you come close to God and God will put your life together. We got to draw near to the Lord. Again, I can't stress to you how much God is so eager to see you. Jesus is so excited to see you when you come into that adoration chapel and you look at him and he looks at you and you smile and you say, Lord, I love you. Lord, I praise you. Lord, I adore you. So if you're 15 to 20 years old, you got about 520,000 hours of life left. If you're 20 to 30 years old, you got about 430 hours of life, 430,000 hours of life left. If you're 40 to 55, you got about 300,000 hours of life left. If you're 55 to 70, you got about 175,000 hours of your life left. If you're 70 to 85, you got about 43,000 hours of life left. 
So for over 2,000 years now, Jesus is waiting for each person that He's created, that God has created to come and visit Him to celebrate His presence. So at every Mass, when the priest holds up the Eucharist, the body and blood of the Lord, it's a moment for the whole church throughout the world to pause for a brief moment of adoration. But in every adoration chapel, Jesus waits for you to adore Him, to extend your adoration. You know, think of, you know, in this time of Advent, we think of, you know, the three kings, for example, you know, the, the, the shepherds as they come to adore the Lord. Let us come and adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. And my brothers and sisters, I pray that you have a blessed Advent and preparations for Christmas, that you carve out time, that you let God break into your busy schedule, because nothing, nothing, should keep us too busy to stop and talk to King Jesus in the adoration chapels of the world. So may God bless you, and may God bless us all with His real presence. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.